You need yeah. to eliminate, I call it gobbledygook, eliminate your gobbledygook. And you, you can do that right now. Go to your website and read it. And if your mother wouldn't understand it, you should change it. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday. And in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another fun episode of Flip My Funnel Podcast. I'm here with David Mirman Scott, uh, who we had, and like now we have done over 450 episodes and we do not have a lot of repeats. So <laughs> this is the second episode with David, which just means that I thoroughly enjoyed the first conversation, even meeting him in person when uh, we were at Inbound. And then the fact that he now has a new book coming in this week. So we're just literally going to launch this, this episode as it comes out. And I'm, I'm super pumped. So I want him to share more about it. But David, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks. I'm, I'm honored that you would have me back a second time. That says a lot. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely, man. So David, before we jump into the book and all those things, uh, one of the things I know, and I was when I was just getting to know you, like I, I try to do this like stalking thing and in a nice way, in a nice way. Uh, I was like, oh my goodness, the book, I have it on my bookshelf about this new rules of PR. I'm like, oh, that's the guy. Like, you know, sometimes you read books, but you never connect the face. And yeah. I'm like, he's real. He exists. <laughs> and, uh, he's real. He's alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. And and you have sold over 400,000 copies of that book or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's and it's 400,000 copies in English and it's in 29 other languages. So it, uh, all together, it's a lot of copies of that book. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I know we're about to talk about your new book that you're launching this week, but for people in marketing, if you haven't seen it, I think it's more relevant now than ever before just because we were getting so inundated with so many technologies and so many social media apps. So I just felt like a refresher as I was going through it. So David, again, welcome to the show. Let's start Thank with you. a fun fact about yourself and then we'll jump into the book. Okay, this is a fun fact that you don't know that happened to me this week, as a matter of fact. I, uh, <laughs> this is um, kind of embarrassing. I um, was about to go on to the stage and you, you speak a lot too, Sangram. You, you know that really weird dream that you have that you're in your underwear and you can't find your clothes and you have to be on the stage really soon. You know that dream? Yeah, I feel that every time. <laughs> that happened to me. So I had to be on the stage at eight o'clock in the morning and I always do yoga before I speak. So I was in Mexico on Tuesday to give a presentation to a whole bunch of dealers, uh, car, car dealers. And so I, I decided to do hot yoga outside on my balcony in Mexico. And I decided to do hot yoga outside on the balcony <laughs> in Mexico in a Speedo. <laughs> so I went, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. So I went outside and I did my yoga for an hour. I felt great. I was sweating like crazy. And I went to go back into the room and the door had locked. I was stuck on the fourth floor balcony uh, in Mexico and I couldn't get back in the room and I had to be on the stage in, in an hour and a half. And I, tr I, I could have jumped down to a roof garden, but I probably yeah. would have broken an ankle. I, uh, I could have broken the window to the 
door with the yeah. with the with the, the chair. I chose not to do that. I actually began to Spider-Man across. I, I went over the railing of the balcony. I was Spider-Manning across to the room next to me, and then the room after that, and the room after that, to see if anybody was awake. But then I realized a, a sweaty man in a speedo arriving at your balcony would not be very appropriate in today's world. And I, I rejected that idea. And then I went back to my room and I decided to yell. Okay. <laughs> so I started yelling down to the, but this is, I'm on the fourth floor. It's really far away to yell. And then uh, all these people would pass by, they'd look up and they'd wave to me. I re realized they didn't speak English. Yeah. <laughs> and so then finally somebody spoke English and said, hello, hello, I'm in room 2496. I'm stuck on the balcony. I can't get back in. So they sent the security guard. But I realized I had deadbolted my door. <laughs> so now it's really, really close to the time I have to be on stage for 400, with 450 car dealers in the room. Right. And they finally got the double secret key and got me off the balcony. And I jumped in the shower got my stuff, got dressed and ran to the conference room and I arrived exactly on time, went on the stage. So you asked for a fun fact. You didn't think you would be getting anything. No, <laughs> no. You never know what you're going to get, but that I think it's probably topped every single uh, fun <laughs> and, fact. And you, and you being a speaker, you can imagine being locked on a balcony in a Speedo yeah. when you have to be on stage in just a couple of minutes. Yeah, and what's ironic about that whole situation is you went and went to do hot yoga so you could calm yourself down. Exactly right. No, it's exactly right. I went to do hot yoga to get in the mood to speak and be calm and get the adrenaline down and oh man. Yeah. Well, did you tell that story as your opening thing? No, I didn't. I thought about it, but I didn't. And here's why, because I was worried about embarrassing the conference organizers because it's not their fault that the hotel door locked when it shouldn't have. I, I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be about them. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Too. All right. So, and again, we are about to get into the book. I also noticed that, and I asked this question to myself, but I never know, never asked you when we actually met in person and had dinner and all those of like, why do you go with David Meerman Scott? Ah, good, good question. Right? And yeah. So please go ahead and share that. So um, when I first started writing and speaking in the late 1990s, I, um, I, I decided to create a website and I actually, it, Google didn't exist yet. So I used Yahoo and I typed in my name, David Scott, and I got a whole bunch of other hits. There was David Scott, an astronaut who walked on a moon. There was David Scott, an Ironman triathlon champion. There was David Scott, a member of Congress. And so I realized that I couldn't own David Scott in the search engines. So I used my middle name. Meerman is my middle name. So... Oh professionally for the last 20 years, I've been using David Meerman Scott. And it's actually one of the best business decisions I ever made because everybody knows me as David Meerman Scott. I'm the only David Meerman Scott in the world and I'm not confused with anything else. It's a great personal brand. Yeah. I love that. And not many people use like, you know, so it just feels like it almost makes like Dr. David, <laughs> like it almost feels like it has so much more weight or like your highness, David. it literally has that feel because you don't use a full name for somebody. I mean, nice. most people don't even know my last name. They just say Sangram or like, you know, like, so it's, it's really interesting. It's good to know that. All right. So let's talk about this big, you wrote this book with your daughter. And, and I think that in itself, I want to hear more about that. And I'm also, as I was reading the excerpt of the book, there's so many incredible stories and moments that 
I could say, oh my goodness, this is, this is happening right now. So what is this book about? Who is this for? And what is the main idea in this book? So about five years ago, I started to recognize that the ideas that I shared in the new rules of marketing and PR that we spoke about earlier, the ideas of creating online content and using social media, many people are abusing that channel. They're doubling down on yet another uh, tweet, yet another email blast, yet another LinkedIn connection. And I think people are getting tired of having being inundated with social. At the same time as marketers and business people, it's way harder to break through on social media because you have to pay uh, the social media um, companies now to get noticed. You know, you've got to boost your, your Facebook posts and whatnot to get noticed. At the same time, the world has become polarized. Our political environment is polarized. It's us versus them. The social networks really like to bucket us into groups. And, and so I recognized that the world that I helped to identify, the online world and the idea of creating content online is becoming more and more difficult. But at the same time, I recognized that there's things that I absolutely love to do. I'm hugely passionate about, like live music. I've been to 790 live music shows, including 75 Grateful Dead concerts, which is kind of crazy. And my daughter and I were talking in the car and I told her, it's really crazy. I love, I'm such a massive fan of these things. I'm so passionate about these things. And she, she shared with me, I knew part of her Harry Potter fascination, but she, she said, Daddy, I know you know I've read all the Harry Potter books multiple times, seen all the Harry Potter movies multiple times, gone to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Orlando several times. We even went to London to the the, the movie studio where they filmed the Harry Potter films. But did you know I just finished a 90,000 word alternative ending to the Harry Potter series where Draco Malfoy is a spy for the Order of the Phoenix? And I put that on a fan fiction site and it's getting tons of attention. Thousands of people have read it and hundreds of people have commented on it. You're a massive Grateful Dead fan. I'm a massive Harry Potter fan at the same time that the whole world is not reacting as much to online communications. We're still hugely passionate about the things that we do. And it was then and there that we decided that we wanted to write a book together. And on this idea, we eventually called it a fanocracy, which uh, is like democracy, which is ruled by the people. The fanocracy is ruled by the fans. Yeah. And so we researched and wrote together over five years. And my daughter, obviously a different generation, obviously a different gender. She's mixed race and she is a neuroscientist. She did a neuroscience degree at Columbia University and she's currently finishing up medical school. She's going to be a doctor next year. So we come at it from very, very, very different perspectives, but we realized we had the same ideas about where the world was going. And then we did a bunch of research um, to figure out why we become fans of something and then what our prescriptions are for companies to tap fandom. Wow. You know, that itself, the fact that it took five years. Five years. It's by, I've written 11 books. By far, the <laughs> longest research I've ever done is this for this book. By far. This, would you, of all the 11 books that you've now written, would you, where would you stack this book in terms of just the emotions in it and the, the level of like application of what this book can do. So um, I've written 11 books. 
two of them, I believe, were groundbreaking for the business world. The New Rules of Marketing and PR that you mentioned was the very first book to talk about how to market using social media. And it was before the word social media was even being used. And it's now in the sixth edition. It's still selling really strongly. I also wrote a book called the uh, called Real Time Marketing and PR that included the concept of newsjacking, mm-hmm. and that's also become really important work. Newsjacking is so popular now; it's in the Oxford English Dictionary. But I believe that the idea of fanocracy, the idea of understanding the neuroscience of how and why people become fans of something, understanding how you can create a genuine human connection with your existing and potential customers, I believe is actually more groundbreaking than my other books. And I think it is exactly the right time for this. You know, the world we're living in right now in 2020 is, it can be a cold and cruel world, in the, especially online, especially in our, our terrible political environment. And it's not just in the United States, it's all over the world. You've got Brexit, which is pitting Brit, uh, Brits against Brits. You know, it's, it's happening all over the world. And at the same time, we all, every one of us, you and me and all of us, we have these things we're passionate about and these people that we do these things that we're passionate about with. And those are among the most important people in our lives. And we can tap that fandom with our businesses. So it's not only an important book, I believe, for us as business people, but it's also an important book for our personal lives because the more passionate we are in our lives, the better life we lead. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for asking that question because I do believe that this idea of fanocracy, this era that I believe we're moving into, I called two eras, my friend. You know, I called ahead of everyone else that marketing is about publishing content. I was way ahead of everybody else. Yeah. The first one to ever write about that. And I was the first person to ever call this social media thing before it happened. I'm calling it again right here and now. The world is going to a true human connection. And yeah. I think it's incredibly powerful. On the podcast, and I think you might remember last time we talked about, we end every podcast as part of the, the plays that we have and the version that we have is that without a community, you're simply a commodity. Right. And that's something that has been at the core of as we built Terminus. And I know when you think about HubSpot, because you know Brian uh, and Dermesh were investors in Terminus, as well as just known them for not as long as you have, or not as closely as you have, but just as investors and observed when they built a community around HubSpot calling inbound or what Salesforce is doing for Dreamforce. Uh, like, how do you equate, does that align with the idea of fandom? Does that align? Because it's way different than being a fan of Grateful Dead and very different in, in some ways of being a fan of Harry Potter. But then you also have businesses. A lot of the people who are listening to this podcast are leaders in marketing and sales, and they're trying to break through the noise. They're trying to do something that's not been done in their industry. And many of them are looking at HubSpot and Salesforce is like, okay, these, com- these companies have figured out to build this, to create this tribe of people following them and doing differently. They're even calling their community something different than the name of their company. And, and I believe there's a lot to do with this idea of building a community, which in a better way said is having fandom. Do you, how do you equate that or see the world of these uh, 
fans of Harry Potters of the world and fans of Grateful Dead music world versus B2B companies that are trying to build a movement. Absolutely. So I think you've nailed a very, very important point here. And we really dug into this exact question. And what we looked at was that what do people become passionate about? Why do they become passionate about it? And here's what we recognized. We recognized that people become fans of much more than just entertainment and sports. So fandom is typically talked about around entertainment and sports, movies, television shows, books, um, artists, uh, and sports teams. But when we look at fandom from the perspective of the outward manifestations of fandom, we recognize it can be all kinds of different things. So what I'm thinking about here are people who are eager to wear a ball cap with a logo on it, people who are eager to wear a t-shirt with a logo on it, a Terminus logo on their t-shirt, people who are eager to put a Terminus sticker or another sticker onto their computer or onto the bumper of their car, or even people who are willing to put a tattoo of a logo on their body. And we recognized how important these ideas are for all kinds of organizations because of the number of companies that have such fandom that you see people walking around with the logo on the hat or the shirt or the, or the sticker on the computer. And I, I, one of the things that really brought this home to me was there's a, a U.S. government agency a U.S. government agency that has over 50 million followers on Instagram, that has over 30 million followers on Twitter, that has people all over the world, millions of people who are wearing T-shirts with their logo on it. That government agency is NASA. This is a government agency with tens of millions of fans. So no, it's not just for actors and athletes and musicians anymore. Fandom is for all of us. It's for your company. It's for my company. It's for all of us. And I think that's incredibly powerful that we can tap this idea of fandom. Most organizations don't do it. Most organizations don't have that many passionate fans, but it's entirely possible. Uh, and we talked to, you talked about HubSpot. You brought up HubSpot. They have created a massive fanocracy at HubSpot. Um, there are people all over the world that wear the T-shirts, that put the stickers on the computers. There's 25,000 people who go to Inbound. And when we last saw each other back, back in September of 2019, it was at Inbound. Uh, there are 25,000 fans show up there because they yeah. want to interact with people at HubSpot. It is, it is a beautiful thing to watch. And it's also amazing to watch how independent they have kept it, how pure they have kept it, because that is the other part of it is that you can't mess it up because people would sense the, if there is inauthenticity in there, that they sense that, oh, they're actually trying to do their own thing and trying to sell me something as opposed to having me be part of. There's a lot of a lot of truth to that. I love that you brought up NASA. I'm like, which U.S. government agency are you talking about? Like, oh yeah, I think I have a T-shirt of NASA. So right. yeah, you're absolutely right. I know, right. right? It was crazy. Now, you in your book, you have this uh, this whole section on this idea of letting go of your creations. Can you expand on that? 
Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So this is actually a chapter that my daughter wrote. And we decided and initially when we wrote the book, we wrote it with one voice, two authors, one voice. And we realized that uh, it really wasn't working very well. So we completely rewrote the book where we took individual chapters. And it's really kind of cool because you can see my voice come through on the chapters I wrote and Reiko's voice come through in the chapters she wrote. And she's really passionate about this idea of letting go of your creations. Essentially, the concept is once you put your product or service out into the world, it's no longer yours. And you need to let fans take ownership of your product or service. You need to let fans control how they're going to interact with your product or service. Uh, And she identified two different types of fandom, so-called curative fandom and transformative fandom. So curative fandom is the kind of fandom of people uh, who curate the official form of that particular thing. Transformative fandom are people who change that into something else. Let me give you some examples. So in the world of literature and uh, understanding of stories, there's the book Hamilton written by Chernoff, the author. And that is the facts about Alexander Hamilton that tells his story. Then you've got the play Hamilton a race-bent retelling of Hamilton's story uh, on Broadway in rap. So one is a sort of official curative form of fandom. Another is a transformative version of fandom. Uh, Or you've got Major League Baseball. You've got, uh, on one hand, the Major League Baseball statistics, home run scores and all that. Then you've got fantasy baseball, something completely different. These are both important types of fandom. Many organizations wrongly insist on forcing people to only do curative forms of fandom. What I mean by that is they say, no, you've got to follow us. We're the boss. We created this, and you need to do only as we say. When you really should be celebrating and encouraging people to take that fandom in any way they want to. Let me give you some examples. So Adobe makes Photoshop software. They actually try to insist that people only talk about Photoshop software in the ways that's officially sanctioned by Adobe. My daughter loves to make art using Photoshop. In fact, um, the self-portrait of her, you can see over my shoulder here that she made using Photoshop. Uh, And she said that, Daddy, you know, all of the forums and chat rooms and blogs that I'm on, we all make fun of Adobe because they say that we're not allowed to say we Photoshop something. We must say that we used Adobe, trademark R, Photoshop, trademark R, software to manipulate an image. And she said, that's ridiculous. That sounds like a robot. A fan would say, I Photoshopped something. A robot would say, I used Adobe R, Photoshop R, software to manipulate an image. Yeah, like, and, like I, I Google something. Or, yeah, you, right. You should be happy that now it's a verb. Exactly. That's exactly right. So, but I would contrast that with two examples. One, um, you know, the, the iRobot, the company that makes the Roomba vacuum cleaner. So the Roomba vacuum cleaner is this, most of, most people know what it is. It's a a vacuum cleaner that automatically goes around your room and, and, and cleans things up. And there's a a number of people who have captured videos of their pets, their dogs and cats hitching a ride on their Roomba. Right. And they're really, 
funny, wonderful photographs of a dog or a cat riding around the house on a Roomba. And they upload those onto YouTube. And there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of these videos, and they've gotten millions and millions of, of, of views. So Roomba could have gone to YouTube and say, nope, we, this is not an official use of our product. We, you need to take these videos down. Um, but Roomba didn't. They said, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the kitty is having a ride. It's like an Uber for kitties. It's really fun. <laughs> and another example, which I absolutely love, Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft's largest sales channel is their partner channel. $95 billion in revenue, by far the majority of their revenue comes from the partner channel. They've got a partner, an online partner community, online community, totally run by the partners, sanctioned by Microsoft. So Microsoft could have said, anytime you have a question about our product or service, you have to come to Microsoft and we'll give you the answer. They didn't. They said, anytime you have a question about a Microsoft product or service, you should go to other partners to get the answer. And that's what they've done. And they don't tell you what to do. And Katie Quigley, who's a senior director over at Microsoft, said that, that the, you don't, we don't want people to come to us. They won't believe us. We want them to come to their peers. So Microsoft is doing fabulously well. They've just become the most valuable company in the world. Yes. Uh, and and people, people thought 10 or 15 years ago they were going to be dead because they were slow to catch on to the internet. And now they're the most valuable company in the world, partly because they let go of their creation. So the, 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 the story here is you, if you push a product or service or an idea out into the world, you have to let people own that product or service or idea. Let me give you one more manifesta yeah, manifestation of that. I invented the concept newsjacking. Newsjacking is when you follow the news and you create a real-time blog post or video or, or tweet in order to get your ideas into the news cycle. A fabulous way to generate attention. It's become so popular, it's in the Oxford English, the word newsjacking is in the Oxford English Dictionary. I could have said to the world, I invented newsjacking. It's trademarked. Yeah. Nobody else can use it but me. I didn't do that. I said, newsjacking is something I invented. I own the URL newsjacking, but anyone who wants to can talk about it in any way they want. If someone else wants to write a book, they can and have. People have written books about newsjacking. If somebody else wants to create a website or websites about newsjacking, you can and they have. Many people have. If you want to run, if you want to give a speech about newsjacking, go right ahead. That's awesome. Even though I invented it, I'm letting go of my creation. By doing so, the idea of newsjacking spread way farther yeah. than it would have otherwise. And so that's another manifestation of this concept of letting go of your... I love that. It almost sounds like, I think that's what HubSpot did with Inbound. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. And I was, I was actually a part of that because I've been an advisor to HubSpot since back in 2007. Yeah. And um, I, I helped them to write the Inbound Marketing book and I wrote the forward to the inbound marketing book. They said, inbound marketing, we're not going to trademark it. Anyone who wants to can talk about inbound marketing. And thousands and thousands and thousands of marketers do talk about inbound marketing. I think that was by far the right, the right choice. So that's letting go of your creations. I love that as an example. And we feel like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think ABM was said and talked about. We certainly didn't invent the term ABM. But using the flip my funnel movement or so, it's like, I remember like the, for every single conference, 
We still have all of our competitors come and speak at the conference. I'll have them come and take the stage. Yeah. Because in the first year, we realized there is no category of one. We, there may better be other people talking about this. Otherwise, we are toasted uh, and we will have to raise so much money that we can't, we can keep it going. And it's not going to catch on. It, people are already inundated with so many different things. Unless there are five, seven, ten other companies, unless there's media talking about it, unless there are analysts into it, we are going to not be able to make it. And that first year of making Flip My Funnel, that, uh, which was honestly a desperate thing for us to do because we, we, we didn't have anything on Terminus. We were like, all right, let's just buy this eight bucks domain and run it. It actually ended up being the best thing we could do to build our, our business model forward. So, and, and, that, and that idea that you did with Terminus, that HubSpot did with Inbound, that I did with Newsjacking, that's very uncommon in the business world. Because, you know, in business school, they teach you, you got to get a trademark, you got to get the legal people involved. And the vast majority of businesses, like 99 out of 100 businesses would not do what you did. They would not invite their competitor onto the stage. They would not do what, what HubSpot did, which is invite people to write about inbound marketing. They would not do those sorts of things. And it actually, if your goal is to build fans and start a movement, that is the right thing to do. The right mm -hmm. thing to build what I call a fanocracy is to build something that people are eager to talk about. The more people, the better. And it, and, and it will come back to you because you're the inventor, because you wrote the yes. book, because you have the URL. It'll come back to you in a hugely positive way. Ten times, ten times other ways. It, it's Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So so sometimes just slapping that ownership on something is not the right thing to do. Instead, you should uh, let go of your creations. Awesome. All right. So I'm going to, I took like one, two, three, four, three and a half pages of, of notes here. So I'm going to try to combine maybe top one or two really big ideas. We'll have a lot in the show notes. We'll write a blog post. So go to flipmanfall.com and, and check out all that uh, as this releases. And I would love for you to end with the challenge for every person who's listening to it, soaking this in, is like, what is the one thing they can do to, to build this, uh, this phenocracy? So big, big takeaways for me is this idea, like, you know, you mentioned that you called it, and I hear it more now than I ever did before, which is that marketing is about publishing content. And you need to start doing that now. And I think about, as you said, you've been the found, one of the founding advisory boards for HubSpot. HubSpot became one of the most prolific writers of content and all the things they did. And I feel like we need to get back to not that we need to write three blogs a week and I'll never be out there, write, get it, think like a media company in many ways. Uh, and I feel like that's something that more, very few companies are doing. This other idea that when you have, when you really want to build a fandom, a movement, you need to get, uh, you need to let go of your creation. I think it might, it probably is the one that most people, I would almost say that, hey, after this is all done, just take a moment and think about that for a second. It almost feel, might feel like you're giving your firstborn kid away. Uh -huh. and, and, it does. And, no, it does. Yeah, you're right. It does. You know, if, you, you, you create something, you say anybody can have at it, that it feels weird at first. Yeah. And, uh, but if you look around and if you really looked at the examples of what Microsoft versus Adobe, if you have aspirations to build a movement, if you have aspirations to build and give so that it will come back to you 10 times over later on. If you just truly believe in something so much, then, then you will let go of it and you will realize that that is the only way for 
for the world to, to bring it back to you. So the real life examples of B2B businesses like Inbound and HubSpot and, and Microsoft versus Adobe and all, these are examples of this is happening, but it's only happening with 0.01% or less of companies are able to do. So you have a really unfair advantage if you actually start thinking like that to, to get over your competitors in the, in the marketplace. Um, so think about this curator versus transformative idea. So I, I wanted to leave people with that, those two big ideas, and I'll have a lot more in the show notes. So David, Mirman, Scott, what's the big challenge you want to share with everybody listening? To so I have a particular challenge that will help you to grow more fans. And it doesn't matter what kind of business you run. It doesn't matter where you are in the business. But here, and here it is. In order to build fans, you need to be more human. And in order to be more human, there are a few things you can do right now with your marketing, with the way you communicate to be more human. Number one, and there's, there's three things. Number one, eliminate gobbledygook from your written language. What I mean by gobbledygook, I'm gonna, here's, here's gobbledygook. We are a company that makes flexible, scalable solutions for improving business process using cutting edge technology and mission critical applications. <laughs> those, are those are words that people don't use. You need yeah. to eliminate, I call it gobbledygook, eliminate your gobbledygook. And you, you can do that right now. Go to your website and read it. And if your mother wouldn't understand it, you should change it. The second thing is to create images on your website of real people. So that means eliminate the stock photographs on your website. Love it. Any photographs of uh, of people must not be stock photographs. So use real photographs of your employees, real photographs of your partners, real photographs of your customers. Don't use stock photos to represent people. The third thing to build fans and to be more human is to, when possible, eliminate the requirement that people fill out an email address and other contact information form to get your content on your website. So a lot of people will put a website uh, out there and have something like a white paper on it, and they'll demand that in order to get that white paper, you have to give us an email address first. The problem is that does not build fans. That does not build a human connection because you're demanding something from somebody before you give them something first. We humans are hardwired to appreciate the gift of something without any expectation of anything in return. So give that white paper away completely for free, no registration required. Then inside the white paper, have an offer that you can get an email address from. Like, so the white paper, completely free, no registration. Inside the white paper, hey, did you like this white paper? Great, sign up for e our email newsletter. Those three things my, is my challenge to everyone listening here, will help you to go down the path of building fans, creating the kind of fanocracy that, organizations like HubSpot have built, and I know that you are on the path to, to building with Terminus, eliminate gobbledygook language, eliminate stock photos, and where possible, eliminate the requirements that people fill out forms to get your content. I love that, David, because this are, these are actionable. These are actionable. People, actually, if you're listening, this will be on Monday. This is Monday when, when this is launching. So by Friday of this week, if not today, this, these are the things that you can actually completely address and do in your organization. I love that. These are super practical. David, good luck with, with the book. I know this is going to be a massive success. The fact that you did it with your, with your daughter, I think this just 
this is just just beautiful. Uh, thank you, thank you. It's been it's been super fun working with her. It's brought us closer together, which is amazing. And we've learned a lot about each other. We've had to learn to trust each other. It's been great. That's awesome. All right, thank you so much, man. Thanks, Sangram. Take care. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.